People of Earth, attention. People of Earth, attention. This is a voice speaking to you from thousands of miles beyond your planet. I'm Captain Kirk. Ladies and gentlemen, may I present the winners of the 74th Annual Hunger Games. I'm the doctor, by the way. What's your name? Rose. Nice to meet you, Rose. Run for your life. My name is Optimus Prime. I am the Futurist of War. Resistance is futile. Jedi's trick flows from the Force, but beware of the dark side. Hello, everybody. This is Mark Daniels from the Great Pacific Northwest, and you are listening to Treks and Sci-Fi, episode 529 for Sunday, March 8th, 2015. I'm back this week with another classic science fiction movie. Today, I'm going to take a look at a B-movie from 1956. It's The Earth vs. the Flying Saucers, starring Hugh Marlowe and Joan Taylor. Before I get into this week's podcast, I want to thank Rico for giving me this opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I also want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoy it. With that said, I'm going to play the trailer to this movie. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. I'll be back after the trailer with some movie information, and then I'll get into the movie. Flying saucers have invaded our planet. Washington, London, Paris, Moscow are key targets. The whole world is under attack. Can it survive? survivors of a disintegrated solar system. At this moment, the remainder of our fleet is circling your globe. What do you want with me? Arrange for your world leaders to confer with us in the city of Washington. They set up an electronic screen. The artillery doesn't penetrate. Never before has the screen reached such heights of excitement. Breathtaking spectacle. Hair-raising terror. See the saucer man's high-frequency disintegrator. See flying saucers travel thousands of miles in seconds. See great cities leveled by flying saucer monsters. Russ, look. The same kind of thing that's watched us since the beginning of the project. 
attention. People of Earth, attention. This is a voice speaking to you from thousands of miles beyond your planet. They're coming down to take over. They made that clear to us in the saucer. My wife and I are the only ones left alive. The Earth vs. the Flying Saucers was released July 1st, 1956. It has a running time of 83 minutes. Fred F. Sears directed it. George Worthington Yates and Raymond T. Marcus wrote the screenplay. Ray Harryhausen created the special effects. Charles Shear and Sam Katzman produced it. Here's some information about the stars of the movie. Hugh Marlowe played Dr. Russell Marvin. He was born Hugh Herbert Hippel in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania on January 30th, 1911. He was an American film, television, stage, and radio actor. He began his stage career in the 1930s at the Pasadena Playhouse in California. In 1939 and 1940, he was in two network radio shows. He was Jim Curtis in the soap opera Brenda Curtis, and he played Ellery Queen in the first radio version of The Adventures of Ellery Queen. He was usually cast as a secondary lead or supporting actor in films he appeared in. He appeared in Meet Me in St. Louis, 12 O'Clock High, All About Eve, The Day the Earth Stood Still, and Seven Days in May. He passed away May 2nd, 1982, at the age of 71. Joan Taylor played Carol Marvin. She was born Rosemarie Emma in Geneva, Illinois, on August 18, 1929. She was an American television and film actor. She was the daughter of a vaudeville dancing and singing star and the Hollywood prop man. She appeared in lots of movies and television shows. She will best be remembered for her roles in two 1950s science fiction movies, 20 Million Miles to Earth, and this movie, The Earth vs. the Flying Saucers. She passed away on March 4, 2012, at the age of 82. And that's all I have for movie information. Now let's get into the movie. Dr. Russell Marvin is literally a rocket scientist. He's in charge of Operation Skyhook, an American space program that has already launched 10 research satellites into orbit. He and his new bride, Carol, who is his assistant, are driving to work when a flying saucer appears overhead. At the present time, we have launched 10 of the artificial satellites, or birds as we call them. We... Do you hear something? Hear what?
was a saucer. A flying saucer? Well, we saw what appeared to be a flying saucer. That's all we can say. We saw it. We heard it, both of us. What more do we need to know? Well, we have to have time to think, to evaluate this before we sound off. Let, let me have a light. Of course, it wasn't a saucer at all. I had to shake like this all the time. After Dr. Marvin and Carol arrive at Skyhook, they realize they have recorded the sound of the flying saucer on a tape recorder they had in the car with them. Or birds, as we call them. We... Russ! The saucer sound! It's on the tape. You forgot to turn it off. I remember now. I turned it off afterwards. Well, that's... That's one piece of concrete evidence. Rocket number 11 will be launched in 20 minutes. Oh, we'll leave it for now. Come on, we just got time to get to the bunker. General John Hanley, Carol's father, arrives at the military base to try to stop Dr. Marvin from launching the 11th satellite. General Hanley reporting to Project Skyhook. Now make it fast, will you? I'm in a hurry. Nobody allowed in, sir. There's a rocket taking off now. That's what I want to stop. Let me speak to Dr. Russell Marvin. Westgate to bunker number two. Dr. Marvin. Bunker number two, Marvin speaking. This is the Westgate, sir. General Hanley wants you. Oh, put him on. Carol, it's your father. Calling from Panama? No, right here at the project. Hello, Russ. Hello. Well, welcome home, General. What's the news from Panama? It's bad, I'm afraid. I think you want to hear what I found before you send up another rocket. Can you possibly put it off? Well, I'm afraid I can't. We're tied to a definite schedule of launchings. Later that evening at dinner, General Hanley informs Dr. Marvin that many of his satellites have crashed back to Earth. Dr. Marvin admits that he has lost contact with all of them and privately suspects alien involvement. Dr. Marvin and Carol tell General Hanley that they've seen a flying saucer earlier that day. I know how the designer feels hearing a thing like this. But Project Skyhook hasn't worked out the way the Defense Department hoped. Tell me, how many birds have you sent up so far? Eleven, counting today's. And how many are you in contact with right now? Just one, today's. I admit we haven't been able to track them visually so far, but we'll correct that. Don't be too sure of that. Well, we can certainly tune them in if they're up there. What I'm trying to tell you is that they're no longer up there. That wasn't a meteorite that fell on Panama. It was the burned remains of number seven, I made sure of that myself. What? And intelligence has reports now which convince us that one and three fell over Africa, number five around the North Pole, and nine and ten along the Andes. The rest can be presumed to have been lost someplace at sea. What happens to them? 
Apparently, they blow up in outer space. Why? There's nothing explosive in them. You can take it from me. When a rocket's blasted off, it should circle the Earth for a long time. That is, unless... What? Dad? Unless what? Unless someone, something shoots them down as fast as we set them up there. Why, no gun in the world can shoot that high. No. No, of course not. Bring spoons for your coffee. Ah, my special barbecue. Mm -hmm. That's to make up for not telling you about our getting married. It was kind of sudden for us, too. Sudden? I've only been after him for a year. I don't need to tell you, both of you, how pleased I am. Well, I'm glad of that. I wouldn't like it very much if you weren't. Russ, what were you driving at back there about something shooting down one of the satellites? General, we saw a strange thing this afternoon. We saw what appeared to be a flying saucer. A flying saucer? It nearly ran into us. You're sure of it? Both Carol and I are subject to the same atmospheric disturbances that may have affected other observers. But there is a qualitative difference when you're a scientist. We do have one piece of supporting evidence. An accidental recording of the sounds it made. The tape is in the lab at the project. I'd like you to hear it tomorrow. You both saw this? Yes. Excuse me. Captain Holloway, sir. Can you stand here, please? Who's Holloway? He's on monitor duty this evening. They've just lost contact with number 11. Oh, Russ, I'm sorry. Is it still in range of our receivers? If it hasn't been knocked down, the next day, a saucer lands at the military base during the launch of the 12th satellite. The soldiers open fire on the saucer, killing one of the aliens, while the other aliens in the saucer itself is protected by a force field. The aliens then destroy the base, killing everyone in the except for Dr. Marvin and Carol, who are trapped in an underground bunker. General Hanley is captured and taken aboard the saucer. Where am I? What? We are speaking to you through the translating device above your head. Can you understand us? Yes. And I hope you can understand me. Whoever you are, whatever you are, you'll regret what you did at the project. Perhaps you can explain why. After contacting Dr. Marvin, we were met with violence. You've contacted Dr. Marvin? We spoke to him. All he heard was meaningless sounds. The same kind of sounds I just heard. We had hoped a sufficient adjustment for the time differential between us would have been made. I don't understand. Evidently, you do not realize you are in an interstellar conveyance. You are already outside the atmosphere of your own planet. As a prisoner, all I am required to tell you is that I am General John Hanley of the United States Army. While trapped underground, Dr. Barber discovers a message on his tape recording of the aliens. These are all the facts leading up to the rocket explosion at Operation Skyhook. 
To the best of our knowledge, my wife and I are the only ones left alive, since we have not seen or heard anyone for hours. The air is becoming toxic. In the event of our death, this report, together with the recording of the saucer sounds on this tape, constitute all the data we have. The batteries are failing. The recorder is not running up to speed. This is Dr. Russell A. Marvin. Honey, the gas generator stopped, that's all. Please come close. I'm afraid of the darkness. Dr. Russell Marvin. The tape. It is very urgent that we meet. We will appear tomorrow at Operation Skyhook when your son is exactly over your That's the sound of the saucer we heard on the tape. The message was sent at an accelerated speed, so it just sounded like gibberish to us. When the batteries died, the tape slowed down, and the voice became clear. If I'd only figured it out before. Maybe we wouldn't have been trapped down here. Dr. Marvin and Carol are finally rescued and taken to Washington, D.C. In Washington, Dr. Marvin and Carol are questioned at length by military officials. And Major Hudlin is assigned to keep an eye on Dr. Marvin. There can't be any doubt about what it means. A landing at the project was proposed on the day of the disaster. There was to have been a meeting. If I couldn't keep the appointment, a message was to be sent on a designated wavelength by ordinary shortwave transmission. Does anyone want to have the recording played again? You've heard it a dozen times. My wife and I for three days and nights have been telling what we knew. We've been before every committee, commission, and review board in Washington. It's time we decided to do something. The tape is by no means conclusive. It certainly doesn't prove that your so-called flying saucer caused the destruction of Operation Skyhook. I grant you that. A strange voice, a set of instructions that might have come from anywhere. Well, has anyone a better idea of what happened? Personally, I'm inclined to accept Dr. Marvin's conclusion about the connection between the message and the disaster. All right, so am I. Then why not let me try to contact them, meet them, find out what this is all about? If we are to be confronted with a hostile and unknown power, any decision to meet with them must be made at the cabinet level. Well, I just hope that while we're waiting, another disaster doesn't occur. We're pressing for the earliest possible action. Secretary of State is flying back from Europe. Secretary of Defense is returning from the Pacific. If a meeting could be arranged in the meantime, the only risk would be to me. I feel personally responsible for what happened. I was in charge. Hundreds of lives were lost. My own wife's father. If I had the authority, I'd grant it to you, but we will have to wait. But I promise you that we will recommend that you be authorized to make radio contact and meet with, with whoever they are. Are we through for the night? Yes. But we are going to ask you to remain at your hotel. You mean I'm under detention? May be needed at any time. Major Hudlin is assigned as your liaison. Good night. Good night.
Dr. Marvin. Dr. Marvin, I don't like this watchdog routine any better than you do. I'm under orders. I have a job to do. We're both on the same side. I'm sorry. I'm just tired and worried. I know. Well, you were in there. You heard both sides. Who do you agree with? I agree with you as far as the urgency is concerned, but they're right, too. They're responsible to a chain of command. They have to be careful. And this thing may be too big to allow for mistakes. Dr. Marvin becomes impatient and contacts the aliens via shortwave radio. Dr. Russell Marvin calling on 225.6 of megacycles as per instructions. Are you listening? If you hear me, please reply. I am tuned in on the same wavelength. Over. We hear you, Dr. Marvin, and we understand you. Do you understand us? Yes. Who are you? Listen, it is now 9.30 a.m. Earth time. Greenwich Meridian time. We will be waiting at exactly 11 a.m. at the shore of the Chesapeake Bay where the North Beach Road reaches the sea. Do not raise an alarm and keep this appointment. Listen to me. I can't keep the appointment. I'm under orders. I'll be able to meet you in a few days. Do you hear me? Over. Russ? Hello, hello. Dr. Russell Marvin calling on 225.6 megacycles. Do you hear me? Please come in. Over. Eleven o'clock Greenwich time. It will be six o'clock here. I can just make it. You're not going. I heard you say you're under orders. I didn't arrange this meeting. I just asked them to wait. Who ordered that radio? I did today. I was hoping they'd give me the go-ahead and let me use it. You can't go. I've already lost Dad. You shouldn't have called them. Oh, maybe I shouldn't have. And maybe I should. But it's started now. And I've got to go through with it. But it's not your job alone. Oh, call someone. Call Major Hoglund. Dr. Marvin sucker punches the parking attendant and takes his car to go meet the aliens. Carol, Major Hoglund, and the motorcycle cop follow him to the meeting place. They are taken aboard the flying saucer where they learn that the aliens have extracted knowledge directly from General Hanley's brain. He is now under their control. We must be thousands of miles away from the Earth. And in a matter of seconds. You are many miles away from your planets, but not in a matter of seconds. Listen to your watch, Dr. Marvin. Stopped. It's supposed to be anti-magnetic. We generate a magnetic field stronger than the gravitational field on your Earth. This is the principle by which we move through space. We have adjusted the magnetic field to compensate for the normal loss of gravitational effect and atmospheric pressure. But your watch hasn't stopped. Feel your pulse. Haven't any. Neither have I. We operate in a very different time reference. You might say all this is happening between the ticks of your watch or the beats of your heart. And that's why we we couldn't decipher your message till it was too late. It made it necessary for us to defend ourselves at Skyhook. Then you shot down our eleven rockets. Why? At that time, we had no way of knowing they were only primitive observation posts. 
We thought they might be weapons directed against us. Who are you? Where are you from? Because of your leadership in exploring the field of outer space, we felt you could best understand that we are the survivors of a disintegrated solar system. At this moment, the remainder of our fleet is circling your globe. a signal to tell them where to land. What do you want with me? Arrange for your world leaders to confer with us in the city of Washington. They may not listen. I'm only a scientist. We will show you how important it is to convince your leaders. In an instant of your time, we travel from beyond your moon to the surface of your Earth. men on that ship. Speed, maneuverability, and force. With a weapon like that, why don't you just land and take over? To do that would cause worldwide panic. Despite our power, the few of us would be busy indefinitely trying to suppress a large hostile population. In the end, we would be masters of a wrecked and hungry planet. What makes you think you'll conquer us without a fight? We felt it would be best to meet with you so fighting could be avoided. Such agreements have been made on Earth before. How do you know so much about us? We have the means of accumulating information. If you wish to convince yourself about our detailed knowledge, tell us. Any question? What's the size of the armed forces of the United States? What team has won the most World Series? The New York Yankees. Who was the first president of the United States? Washington. I know that voice. Who are you? John Hanley. My father. What have you done to him? You have been addressing General Hanley's mind, not General Hanley. Look behind you. Dad. He will not recognize you. He has been subjected to a machine we call an infinitely indexed memory bank. We have transferred all knowledge from his brain to our machine. Thus we have available and readily accessible his total experience. We can do this to as many as we like and learn whatever we must know. Oh, stop it, please stop it. That gun away. Don't look at that. This is the beginning of the process by which we read the brain for the infinitely indexed memory bank.
have you done with my father? We will return him to you eventually. And the police officer, too. Will you arrange a conference for us? We will tell the authorities you want one. That's all we can do. We're not going to cooperate with these monsters. It may take weeks or months to set it up. You will have two of your lunar days, or 56 days Earth time. Let the killers now be done with. Please, Carol. If our officials don't believe me, I can't be held responsible. When you tell of the destroyer being sunk, refer to latitude 30 degrees 20 minutes, longitude 45 degrees 15 minutes. They will believe you. Dr. Marvin, Carol, and Major Huglin are released with a message that the aliens want to meet the world's leaders in 56 days in Washington, D.C. to negotiate an alien occupation. Well, suppose Major Huglin, my wife, myself, were all hysterical or hypnotized or whatever you're thinking, that we never saw what these fiends did to General Hanley or the police officer. How do you explain the destroyer? There's word that the Atlantic fleet has lost contact with the vessel in the area, but there's no confirmation of a sinking. However, we're continuing to check. You realize, of course, your contacting the saucer in the first place violated our instructions. This itself may have placed the safety of the entire country in jeopardy. Now that the damage is done, and assuming your story is verified, are you proposing that we meet with these, these creatures and yield to their demands? And why Washington? If they want to parley with the whole world, why do they choose the capital of the United States? They appear to be realists, and Washington is one of the centers of political power. What about our atomic and hydrogen weapons? Wouldn't they be effective against these saucers? I'd like to answer that question, sir, if I may. Our atomic weapons might be effective if we could deliver them. But to use nuclear power when they land would destroy our own cities. And then we don't know whether they are vulnerable or not. In answer to your question, Mr. Cassidy, I've learned a little about their mode of operation. And I've got an idea for a new kind of weapon. It's only a guess, of course. A new weapon in less than 56 days? I have an idea for an ultrasonic gun. With enough scientific and engineering help, we could construct a working model in a very short time. Maybe it'll work. If not, we'll know soon enough. And in the meantime, you'll be working on every other means of defense. We have no choice but to use every conceivable weapon if they land. Gentlemen, please. The destroyer Franklin Edison was sunk at latitude 30 degrees, 20 minutes, longitude 45 degrees, 15 minutes, at approximately 0600. We are expected at the White House in an hour for a policy decision that will probably involve not only our own country, but the entire world. Whatever the decisions, you may be certain that you'll be given every assistance in testing your theory. I suggest you start to work right away. Major Huglin will make arrangements for whatever facilities you may require. Thank you. The aliens broadcast a message to the world in all languages telling the people of Earth to watch their sun as they cause a large eruption on it as a demonstration of their power. People of Earth, attention. People of Earth, attention. This is a voice speaking to you from thousands of miles beyond your planet. This is a voice speaking to you from thousands of miles beyond your planet. Look to your son for a warning. Look to your son for a warning. Following eruptions on your sun, there will be eight days and nights of meteorological convulsion. Turn it down. 
Soon thereafter, arrogant enough, seen their schedule in advance. They're coming down to take over. They made that clear to us in the saucer. They move so fast, the strike so hard, they ought to be able to sneak in and flatten us. They expect to terrify us with a display of power. They're contemptuous of our defenses. People of the earth, attention. This is a voice speaking to you from thousands of... If I'm right, they'll sail into Washington in broad daylight. They expect us to capitulate when they land. to you from thousands of miles beyond your planet. People of Earth, attention. People of Earth, attention. This is a voice speaking to you from thousands of miles beyond your planet. This is a voice speaking to you from thousands of miles beyond your planet. Look to your son for a warning. Look to your sun. It's coming over everywhere. Following eruptions on your sun, there will be eight days and nights of meteorological convulsions. Soon thereafter, panic and immobilize the whole country. ...in the capital city of the United States. The whole world. Let all nations be represented in Washington to confer with us. Dr. Marvin develops a sonic weapon against the flying saucers which he then later successfully tests against a single saucer. After doing so, as they escape, the aliens jettison General Hanley and the motorcycle cop, they both fall to their deaths. Groups of alien saucers attack Washington, Paris, London, and Moscow. In Washington, Dr. Marvin and the new sonic weapons knocks the flying saucers out of the sky. With the alien threat eliminated, Dr. Marvin and Carol quietly celebrate their victory by going back to the beach and resuming their lives as a newlywed couple. Don't wriggle. Here's what it says. The president has ordered Project Skyhope rebuilt and the space exploration program continued under the direction of Dr. Russell A. Marvin. The United Nations Assembly voted unanimously today to award a gold medal to Dr. Marvin. And to Mrs. Marvin goes a gold medal from Dr. Marvin for her love, courage, devotion, etc., etc., etc. Russ, do you think there are any more? Will they come back again? Not on such a nice day. Not to such a nice world. I'm glad it's still here. And still ours. And that's the end of the movie. Now it's time for some movie trivia. Ray Harryhausen stated in his biography that this is his least favorite of his films. Voice actor Paul Frees provided the voice of the aliens. If his voice sounds familiar, he also did the opening narration for The War of the Worlds. This is the second movie that Ray Harryhausen and Charles S. Shear collaborated on. They would go on to do 12 movies together. My favorite Ray Harryhausen-Charles Schneer collaborations are Jason and the Argonauts, The Golden Voyage of Sinbad, Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, The Seventh Voyage of Sinbad, and the Clash of the Titans. The Hermosa Sewage Treatment Plant served as Operation Skyhook's base. The sound of the sewage going through the pipes was used as a basis for the sound of the flying saucers. 
Tim Burton's 1996 movie, Mars Attacks, was an homage to this movie and the 1950s science fiction genre. And that's all I have for trivia. Here are my comments about the movie. I watched the 2002 DVD release from Columbia Pictures. The picture and sound quality are pretty good. The DVD comes with loads of bonus features. It comes with two featurettes. The making of the Earth vs. the Flying Saucers with director Joe Dante and Ray Harryhausen. And this is Dynamation. And it's pretty much a promotion of the seventh voyage of Sinbad. It also comes with a documentary about Ray Harryhausen called the Harryhausen Chronicles, which is very good. It also has a photo gallery and the theatrical trailer. As far as the story and acting, the storyline and the acting were okay. But the special effects are great. Ray Harryhausen's Flying Saucers make this movie. They look so awesome. I'm not a big fan of stock footage, but Ray Harryhausen uses it in a way that I really didn't mind in this movie because there's a lot of stock footage in this movie. There's a couple of them where the flying saucer shoots a, a bomber and then they slip in some uh, stock footage from World War II. And then there's another scene where they have these jets flying and the flying saucer shoots this jet. And it's actually some stock footage from an air show crash where these jets crash at an air show. And then there's uh, another one where the uh, the spaceship shoots a destroyer and destroys it. And they use some stock footage from World War II. And like I said, I'm not really a big fan of stock footage. But the way he uses it in this movie, I don't mind. I can deal with it. This is one of the best low-budget sci-fi movies of the 1950s. It's by no means the best. But it is fun to watch. And if you haven't seen it, it's a must-see. I would recommend this movie to all science fiction fans. You can pick it up on Amazon for about 15 bucks. It's kind of expensive, but the bonus features alone make it well worth the price of the DVD. On a scale from 1 to 10, I'll give this movie a 7 out of 10. And those are my comments about this movie. Before I wrap up this week's podcast, I want to thank Rico again for giving me this opportunity to share with all of you another classic science fiction movie. I also want to thank everyone who took the time to listen to me today. I hope you enjoyed it. Rico will be back next week with the podcast on the science fiction author, Harlan Ellison. I'll be back soon with another classic science fiction movie. Until then, everyone take care. This is M5, signing off. Trucks in Cyberpunk.